Welcome to Reputation Town. Hey, everybody. Warren Weeks here and uh, joined by my friend and colleague, John Paranak. That music, do we need to redo that music? Like, I liked it at the beginning, but the banjos, I don't know, and the, the picture. Do we need to, does this need to evolve? <laughs> Every good show evolves, so yeah. we'll think of something Okay, over time, I'm sure. So um, before we, we have a lot of uh, juicy little things, nothing crazy, no major crises, but a lo- little, some reputational stuff to get into today. Uh, before we do that, we always get into our uh, off-topic banter segment. Anything that is uh, happening in your life or something you've seen uh, that you'd like to uh, chat about before we fire it up? Just a widespread feeling of sympathy for Connor McDavid. <laughs> what, is, what does that guy have to do <laughs> to catch a break? Like he carries the team single-handedly throughout the season and then in the playoffs, it's a total just clown show yeah um well i don't quite feel sorry for the guy you know they uh i I do i do i feel like i don't know i feel like he seems like a likable guy and the fact that you like to see people who are good at things succeed and is he making i I do anyway (laughs) is he does he have an nhl contract is he healthy is he making millions of dollars and have endorsement deals yes yes and i'm sure there's starving children somewhere so, for my, my sympathy should be better placed. No, but like, but, I, but what is the issue? Uh, well, you, you just want to see him get the benefit of, uh, he's, he's probably the best performing or highest performing athlete in hockey. And you like to see somebody like that win once in a while, like Ovechkin when he finally hoisted the cup. Anyway, I guess, you know, maybe there's a I difference just, I here just, between skill and being able, you know, those other, if you talk about Gretzky, Crosby, Ovechkin, players like that, they were able to bring things to a different level, you know, and whether it's mm-hmm. coaching or, or whatever else, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you feel sorry for you because maybe you want to see this happen. Maybe it's you that you feel sorry for. <laughs> the, the, this is an interesting insight. Uh. <laughs> Thank you, Counselor Weeks. <laughs> but how does that make you feel? That's what I want to know. <laughs> There's something, maybe something to that. So you're, you know, I get it. Like it would be, you, you do have this amazingly skilled player. Some of his goals are unbelievable. It would be really cool to see. Like it feels like his best years are being wasted when it comes to playoff time. So I, I guess if that's if that's kind of what you're saying, I kind of I'm kind of on board. Pretty with much. That. Pretty much. Uh, but I think he's doing okay otherwise. I, I would say so too. What do you think the issue is there? If you're the GM, how do you fix it? We play pretend GMs in our hockey pool, so what would you do? Yeah. I think they they, they need to... I'm not sure what they do to fix it quickly, but they need to continue fixing the back end. And they got a 39-year-old goaltender. I don't think that's, that's a recipe for long-term success. So they got to figure that out. Should they consider trading him? If I were him, I would be asking for a trade. And if you think of what they could get in return, you know, the player that I think of is Eric Lindros, who I'm not a fan, not a fan. I'm from Sault Ste. Marie. Anybody who knows the the history, the backstory, not a fan. So Eric Lindros was drafted as a junior by the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And his, his parents, I think his mom's name is Bonnie. And I think, I, the story is that his parents didn't want him going to that. They saw that as 
a sub optimal team. Like it wasn't enough of a showcase for the, their, their brilliant son. He was a great player. He's in the hall of fame. Um, so he basically, he got drafted by the team and he said, I'm not going. And there was this huge back and forth. And, um, I remember watching a game when he played there, it was a crazy game. It was a barn burner. And, uh, I think it was like six, five in overtime or something. I think Oshawa won, but people in the audience had big soothers and they're holding up diapers. Like he's a big baby. And he, the kid's like what, 17, 18 years old or something. But, um, there is a point to this. The, so the Sioux Greyhounds traded away his rights, uh, to the Oshawa generals. And with the players that they got in return, they ended up winning the Memorial cup. And so interestingly enough, this should be a hockey podcast. Um, <laughs> the Quebec Nordiques, when he goes to the NHL, they draft Eric Lindros first overall, or I think he was first, but they draft him. And again, his family says, no, we're not going to go to that team. We don't see that. That's not a befitting team for our son. And so the Quebec Nordiques trade him away and uh, they to Philadelphia. And in return, the players that they get, and now Quebec becomes the Colorado Avalanche and the Colorado Avalanche wins the Stanley Cup. So, um, I think it's fitting that both of the teams that they said F you to ended up winning their championships in their respective divisions or respective leagues. And Eric Lindros never got to hoist Stanley cup. So there's a little bit of uh, hockey karma there, but my point is mm-hmm. it's like a seven minute story to get to this, but if they traded him away, maybe everybody wins. Maybe he goes and wins a cup with someone and maybe the Oilers do as well down the road. It's a good precedent. Who knows? <laughs> I I, I I feel like I just I just it was like watching that game triple overtime and thinking this this is just utter despair for that team. But also, especially for him, isn't that the time when he's supposed to be his Connor McDavid deist? Like, isn't that the time well, when he's supposed to lift it up and score some goals? You think so? And actually, if you watch that end of the way that the way that end, game ended, it was McDavid himself who did sort of a feeble chip in into the opponent opposing end, and it was turned over and came back and. Turn, turn to the, turned into the game-winning goal. Mm. So, anyway. Uh, Ron McLean. I, Oakville native. Yeah, well, I've, I saw him at the he mall lives, one time in the food court. Um, yeah, he lives here. Back in the before times. But what are, what are your thoughts on, and, you know, for anyone who's, well, who, who, there's no one listening again, so. <laughs> for anyone listening, uh, Ron McLean is the, the, the guy in Hockey Night in Canada. He's, what would you call him, like a host, or he's like the kind of, the MC of the show and yeah. it used to be um, his most high profile thing. He was on coach's corner with Don Cherry for you know decades. And, and before that with Dave Hodge and Dave Hodge did the pencil flip and got, uh, got fired from, from CBC anyway. So Don Cherry got canceled uh, a couple of remembrance days ago. And um, I find it interesting that there's three instances when, you know, say what you will about the guy, Don Cherry went to bat and saved Ron McLean's job. Ron McLean was going to be out and Don Cherry intervened somehow and got his job saved. And uh, when Don Cherry got himself in his trouble, Ron McLean just like backed up and said, I'm not touching this at all. And so the reason I bring it up is in relation to, to our topics and what we talk about here is that um, I've seen a lot of stuff throughout the playoffs, especially about people him leaving a really bad taste in people's mouth when they see him, just the, the, you know, the, mm. the weaselly kind of knife in the back aspect to the point where I've seen people who say that they will, um, 
turn the TV off <laughs> between periods so they don't have to listen to him. And I was just curious what uh, what your thoughts are on on the guy in the wake of all that. Hmm. I honestly think that this has been like the whole Ron McLean thing has been something that that broadca- hockey broadcasting has struggled with for a while because for a long time it used to be the glue that held together that you know um, in game commentary piece that everyone would tune in for. And I wonder now if, if people have just moved past that entirely, like the, the viewing public is demographic is changing to the extent where you're actually not even necessarily consuming hockey in the same, uh, you know, you used to be that, that was the only place to go and get it, but now you can watch it on the NHL app or different, different ways. And I wonder if it's it's even, he's even relevant that relevant anymore, mm. uh, but I think you're right in terms of the the people who still know him from all those years and in that previous context, he's got some baggage, and it um, I think I think he played the corporate game to stay stay keep his job essentially. He like he when when when. Uh, Don Cherry made those controversial comments about, uh, well, a number of times about different topics. Yeah, which ones? And, yeah, exactly. And he, I don't know, like he, he kind of skirted that, that corporate line to sort of, to, you know, separate himself from Cherry and, and I don't know if it was self-preservation or, you know, just his, his more conservative nature, but he, it could be seen, definitely seen as a polarizing figure as a result, because to your point, you know, he certainly didn't come off as having Cherry's back in those situations, especially after having uh, had his own hide saved a couple times. Anyway, yeah. it just it, it feels like he's worn his welcome out a little bit, and uh, you know, they tried they they brought George Strombolopoulos in there for was it one or two years, and then two years, I then think he yeah. he got the boot. And my, you know, who knows what's what's true, but. You know, you hear that Ron McLean's behind the scenes kind of pulling the strings to kind of uh, get himself ensconced back in there. So, I don't know. I find that interesting. Um, one more off-topic thing. my The length of my hair is becoming concerning because we're here in this... Uh, and I'm trying to be, you know, trying to, like, be a, a good pandemic citizen. and uh, But it, I'm trying to gauge my hair in terms of, like, who out there has hair like this. Because when I started the pandemic... It looked like I had just uh, enlisted in the army. You know, I kept a pretty pretty short haircut, mm-hmm. and now <laughs> my hair—if I do not a style, but a length—it's similar to Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. That's kind of like where my hair is at lengthwise. And uh, everyone's my kids are making fun of it. It's uh, I don't know. Your hair looks pretty nice, I have to say. Well, I did. Get, I got a haircut at Christmas time when we could still get haircuts. But you got it like it's a nice, got some good shape to it. It's uh, it, it, it's. I call it uh, Serbian war criminal chic. <laughs> and hey, at least we both have. If you watch it, if you watch any any Serbians from circa nineteen ninety, you'll find my hair on their heads. <laughs> a little darker though. Yeah, a little darker. <laughs> All right. Um, what uh, what would you like to start out with today? So let's start with interesting. It, I find it fascinating, John Cena. So people, I don't know if people know who he is. He's a was. In fact, I'm not even sure I fully understand who he is. Like he's he's a wrestler, actor. He's like um, actor, wrestler. He's like the Rock, light. 
Yeah. And you know, just as a tangent, an interesting thing about him is there is no other celebrity who has fulfilled more Make-A-Wish Foundation wishes for children who are like terminally ill or, or, or sick than John Cena. Really? He, 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 he's done hundreds and hundreds of them. And, uh, if you, if you look on YouTube and stuff, you'll find, you know, all kinds of examples of it, but he like by many multiples over any other celebrity, it's, it's really quite amazing. The amount of time he, he, um, he devotes to it. That's great. But, but, uh, the thing, the thing that drew my attention was the New York times, there's a story about how he, and he, I guess he's in the, the newest fast and furious movie, which has been a crazy successful franchise over the years. I can't say that I've seen them all. I've watched a few of them, but like I, I get it. Like cars, fat, you're fast and you're furious. I saw the first exactly. one. Things blowing yeah. up fast cars, yeah. but this is the ninth one, the ninth one. And, and of course, of course, you know, the, the economics of Hollywood are as much about movies in Asia as they are in, in North America or Europe. And in fact, sometimes you'll see movies that come out and the, the, they're just so obviously written for the Asian market, or you'll see uh, significant movies that have a character ca- cast and they choose a uh, like famous Chinese or, or Asian celebrity to play that role just for the purposes of making it more relevant in, in that market. Mm. So, okay, that's fine. That's, the way the business runs. And so I guess the business has to go that way, but it was interesting that, so it was this, he became a topic of discussion because he posted a video apology in Mandarin on a Chinese social network to apologize for calling Taiwan a country. And of course, you know, if you look back at the, the, you know, China, which is the communist China and Taiwan, which is the democratic China have have been at odds for many years. And, and China takes it obviously like any kind of intervention with, with Taiwan as a major diplomatic issue. And, and the fact that John Cena inadvertently, I'm sure with no malice or forethought called Taiwan a country set off, set cause a major problem for, I'm not even sure what studio produces the movie Universal that he's in Universal uh, and, and uh, led him to issuing this kind of apology. And well, I guess in, in some sense, AA shows in business, you know, you're not, you're, you definitely have to be attuned to these public affairs considerations. You know, in this case, it's, it's what, is, what is the communist Chinese government think of <laughs> what your actors and celebrities are saying? And you have to watch it very carefully. And, you know, and obviously, you know, the China could ease, just decide, well, this movie's not being shown in China now. So unless he unless he issues an apology like this, he's putting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more, at risk. And so I don't, I don't uh, begrudge him at all for having to do this. It's just part of the business. But I, I just find it interesting that... You know, this is one of those situations where in international spaces and sometimes it's, it doesn't have to be as, as I guess significant as the, the impact of, of 
China potentially banning this movie would have had. But this is the kind of stuff that often happens where when you're doing business in other jurisdictions, you have to be mindful of the the political or social considerations around a topic that you that you happen to be engaging upon. And uh, so he issued this apology, and my guess is that it'll probably do the trick because it seemed pretty fulsome, and the fact that he issued it in Mandarin. <laughs> that was impressive, I have to say. On, on the... Uh, on the on a Chinese social network, uh, it's probably gonna probably gonna solve things, but just uh, an interesting interesting um, episode to be sure. We talk about the the anatomy of, of an apology and the things you're supposed to say and don't you know don't make excuses. Like his apologies was one of the most contrite ones I've ever read or seen, and to the point where it's kind of it almost sounds like. One of those things where, like, off camera, there's someone with a gun pointed at the guy with one of the laser sights. His, uh, I have the the, the quote here. Um, there, you know, there's a kind of a long intro. Hi, China. You know, I'm John Cena, and he goes through it. I made one mistake. I have to say something very, 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 three varies. Very important now. I love and respect China and Chinese people. I'm very, very sorry about my mistake. I apologize. I apologize. I'm very sorry. You must understand that I really love really respect China and the Chinese people. My apologies to see you. I've never heard an apology like that in my life. <laughs> and uh, from, from this big rich wrestler dude. Right. And so it's, um, I find it interesting that they flipped so easily. It reminds me of what happened with the NBA a couple of years ago as well. If you remember, mm-hmm. if you remember that situation, the amount of money that is uh, at stake here is staggering. So I, I checked it out. The, um, the, the last two movies, so the seventh and eighth movies, made more than a billion dollars globally. 390 million of that was in China. And just this past weekend, the ninth one made 162 million dollars internationally, 135 million of that in China. So completely about about the dollars, but it's it's disconcerting to see it, it's it's like giving into a bully on some and you see this happening in a whole different um uh array of places with what China's doing and uh, they're they're quickly becoming like the the most dominant uh, force economically and everything else especially in the wake of the pandemic just because it's just crippled everyone else but um, and you know and then people saying now that the virus came from the lab that's getting a lot more uh, a lot more credence these last few weeks it's true and you know, it's well, it, there was actually another example of something that was maybe the opposite end of this so if this was this was you know, in this case, Universal having to bend to bullying from from one government. There was another example this week of a, a corporation that didn't call it bullying from another. So I don't know if you saw it, but there was a uh, a flight, a Ryanair flight, which oh, is like yeah. the um, it's the Irish airline, and they were overflying Belarus. Is that right, Belarus? Don't know. Is that right? I'm going to get, I'm going to get that wrong, but in any case, um, the, on the flight was a, was a journalist that was critical of the government there and, and they forced the plane to land claiming that there was a terrorist on board. And so the plane landed and on the plane were, I guess, KGB agents. So it's the equivalent of, you know, the the secret service there and they they carted off this journalist and uh took him away 
and the latest latest news is that he he's being tortured but um the thing i found interesting was after it happened and the i guess the ceo of Ryanair issued a statement they issued a statement that was straight up oh there was a security incident we had to land not there was some bs claim from the government of belarus that you know, suggested there was some terrorists on board and, and in effect what they did was they carted off one of their political opponents and now he's in jail. Like to me, that's a situation where I know that corporations should stay clear, uh, you know, wherever possible of political controversy, but this is not political controversy. This was a hijacking of an airplane. And if I'm going to fly that airline, I want to know that they're, they're watching out for me, not making up bullshit to cover up. Yeah, no, that's hugely concerning. And it reminds you of uh, Jamal Khashoggi that you know, this, what people are getting away with when it comes to journalists these days around the world is, uh, and, and, and just brazenly, is very disturbing. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. But but uh, maybe this is, maybe this is an ex- a sample of where are examples of how, you know, communications as, as communications become more, globalized and becomes easier quicker faster to reach audiences the the idea that you you know don't have to be attuned to these things maybe that's has been antiquated now maybe we're we're entering in more and more into a world where you have to be you have to be sensitive to these bigger pub, public affairs issues even even as a corporate communicator so we talked last time about uh, Doug Ford, the the what would we call it, the protect the king strategy, where they're kind of getting him out of the limelight and having his ministers step up to try to protect him and his image for the upcoming election. I guess upcoming in what is it like next year, right? Yeah, it'll be next June. So, um, and we went on record making our predictions. I say he's going to lose. You said he got a good chance of winning. I don't want to, you know, you're you're nodding. So okay, so that's the bet. We should yeah. bet something. What you, what do you want to bet? I don't know. Like, I don't know, case of beer? Sure. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Um, It was interesting that even though the guy's out of the the spotlight, he's still causing a bit of controversy. Did you see what he did with the video for the PSWs for their, they had like their week or their day or something, the personal support workers? No, I didn't see it. So he sends out a video like, you know, we personal support workers are so crucial and vital and, you know, we appreciate your efforts and everything you're doing. And it's a great video, except uh, someone went and did the research and found out it's the exact same video they issued last year for the PSWs. They just basically refreshed it, blew off the dust. And so on Twitter, there was two side by side. They just played the same. It's, a, it's like beat for beat. It's the exact same video. That's kind of. You mean so much to us that I couldn't even record you a new 30 second video. Oh boy. That's that, that shouldn't have happened. Like, and you know, someone on the team is like, ah, no one's going to, no one's going to notice, but like people, that's people's job these days. They're out there on Twitter, policing all these things and checking. It's just, you know, it's just, it's a little, it's a little disingenuous. Like it, it flies in the face of what you're trying to say. We appreciate you so much and you're doing such great work. And here we're just like hitting a button and retweeting what we said last year. It's kind of lame. Yeah, that's the kind of thing you want to try and avoid because it it's easy it's it's a, it's a known it's a known goal you can easily avoid. You know, if you if the comms team doesn't have enough time to put something together that's a video because of premiere schedule or something, then maybe you think of a different way to acknowledge 
personal support workers or uh, just just don't try and don't try and do things that are open yourself up to 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 easy criticism. I don't know, and this is not even just about Doug Ford. It's about any leader. I don't know why we don't we don't see more people grab their phone, just turn the camera on, do a video, and just shoot it like a nice, natural, authentic. Now you might need to do it three or four times. You know, you might you know make a mistake or flub up a word, but just. That, that would be to me, you know, he's, he's, he's in his living room, he's in his yard or whatever. He gets the phone and just does a thing. It just, it seems more. And I think, I think that years from now, like two, three, four years from now, that's going to be a much more uh, acceptable and normal thing. But I think people think it's too, I don't know, too intimidating. Maybe it's not fancy enough. They feel like it has to be in like a fancy corporate video. Cause the one that he did, he's at a podium and the flags and everything else, but uh, you know, I wonder if it's too got to do with, I don't know about you, but before the pandemic, would you have ever suggested, oh, it's good enough. We just do a, a video on your phone. I think it just became more access, uh, more acceptable now, given that everyone's used to zoom calls and, and those kinds of informal, informal videos. So I agree with you that you could easily do that. And, and I think everyone would have, would appreciate it and that you did, took the time away to do it. I think part of, part of it is the, the communications industrial complex around CEOs and high profile individuals is, is biased towards, Oh no, it has to be, you know, well-scripted and buttoned down and all locked down. We'll bring in Jared with his process. crew and the lights and everything else. I, you know, the, the example I bring up again is I think I talked about it before, but Jim shark, the um, the clothing yeah. brand in the UK, they had a a couple of Black Fridays ago. They had uh, an issue with their site. Just the amount of traffic was 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 making it uh, difficult for people to to check out. And within I, I don't know the the amount of time it was it was very very soon. I'd say like within thirty minutes or so, maybe less. The founder of the company was in the boardroom on a phone doing a video. It was like professional and like you know the, the cameras on these phones today are are, are amazing. And he just did it because the quickness was the thing. It wasn't about, you know, the resolution or the lighting. He just said, hey, guys, we're having an issue. We're on it. We want to apologize. And the tone of everything changed immediately as soon as it went out because people felt like they'd been heard and they felt like it it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, CM PR flack. It was like the founder of the company. And I, I, you know, I personally don't think it, I, I have been suggesting this pre pandemic, pre the zoom dystopian world we're all living in. And, uh, it has, I would say 90% of people roughly have looked at me like I'm crazy. Like I'm not doing that. Some of them because of a personal, um, aversion to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be on, I don't want to be on camera or this is a, a serious issue. And I said, you have no idea what the power is to take that camera, put it on yourself, do that short video. And like, it just, depending on what the, what the subject matter is, I just think it can be so powerful. Um, it's a, it's a real, especially with the long-term care stuff that we saw. I know, I know we talked about that a couple episodes ago as well. Um, but everyone's emailing statements or not returning calls. I think that it's so refreshing to see that video. I think it would be a huge, uh, like a very powerful tactic that I think a lot of people should, should think about. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, especially because it's so unusual now. Maybe if people, more people adopted, it, it becomes more commonplace. But the fact that it's different will make it stand out. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, that to me, that's that's one that I would. And, and 
there's, I don't think there's any company that this doesn't work for. Obviously, you get into these multi-billion dollar banks and stuff like that. They're going to want to have a certain, like you, you talked about the the communications group or, or handlers are going to want to have a certain touch and feel to it. But if you have a, a leader who is a bit agile and can kind of call their own shots, I think that's that would be that's a, just a direct connection with your audience. Like there's no gatekeepers in between. And, uh, you know, you don't have to do it live. You tape the thing, make sure it has the right message and then send it out, but you can do it pretty quickly. So I'm a big fan of that. I like it. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Um, I, I wanted to bring up, you know, this is a couple days ago now, but the, um, and we're going to go back to kind of a hockey reference here, but Toronto Maple Leafs, they were um, in game one of the Stanley Cup finals with the Montreal Canadiens, which is, are you enjoying that series? I didn't enjoy the first game, but uh, I enjoyed the the other two better more. When what was it about the first game? Well, obviously they lost, but what what else was it that you didn't like? I didn't like the fact that Tavares got injured badly, and uh, it was it was very surreal because seeing him injured the way he was. It was kind of frightening because it was so quiet in the arena and you could hear a pin drop and, you know, it was such a vicious hit to the head, even though it was unintentional. It was, it was quite, it was quite frightening. It was a sickening thing to watch. Like it just yeah. made you ugh. like, he looked like he was really, 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 really rattled. And, and obviously he was, and it was, uh, it seemed to be unintentional. It was just a, a series of events that, that kind of took place. So what I wanted to chat about though, was, uh, an element of media relations. So the GM of the Maple Leafs is Kyle Dubas. He is quite a, he's a youngster. Like I'd say what he's in his thirties. Is that accurate? Would you say? I think so for sure. Yeah. And I believe he is, uh, from my hometown as well, from the Sioux. And so he was made the, like, I guess he's one of these like money ball type guys, but for hockey and uh, Brandon Shanahan thought he's the guy. So he's been there for a couple of years and obviously they've, they've assembled a pretty good team. But, um, and when, when Tavares got hurt, they had a shot of uh, Kyle Dubas running down the stairs to kind of, and to go be with his player. Reminded me of uh, Jerry Maguire when he drilled on the field and Jerry Maguire was running down you like to see that kind of thing, that loyalty and kind of being there. And I've got your back. Um, later on though, the, the Toronto sun, how would you describe the Toronto sun to anybody who, who's not from Toronto? Well, it's a, it's a tabloid. It's I think modeled after UK tabloids in many respects. It, <laughs> right. It's meant to be, you know, sort of not as serious in terms of <laughs> its front page anyway, as, as maybe some others. They're not like super diplomatic. It's there's not, yeah. a, it's like it puns and just the pushing buttons and sort of sensationalism and uh, that, that whole thing. So they had uh, a picture of John Tavares as he was kind of sitting up and he just looked destroyed. And the, the caption, like the headline on the front page was captain crunched. And uh, so Kyle Dubas obviously has has issues with this and he which is this is the part that I want to comment on. I would like to get your feedback. He kind of attacks the, the newspaper and I'm trying to figure out what he was trying to achieve there. So he comes out with a statement basically saying, I understand and we understand here that the writers and columnists have no input into the covers of papers or headlines. But we just thought that it was extraordinarily insensitive on the part of the sun with regards to the photo 
and the caption that accompanied the situation yesterday. Just a complete lack of compassion and respect on behalf of the son towards John and his family, especially for such an upstanding member of our organization community and his family that had to endure that. And he basically, here's the quote that I want to chat about though. I think that situations like that garner a significant amount of coverage, but as an organization, we felt yesterday that the Toronto Sun cover of the newspaper crossed the line and we found the cover to be disgusting. So, um, what what do you make of that? If there ever was an opportunity to, you know, call out a paper like that for for coverage that it really was insensitive, especially in like, never mind the even if you set the person aside and he talks about the impact on him and his family. There's been a lot of work that's been done over the past five years, maybe a bit more about head injuries in sport and trying to not trying to change the way the dialogue around head injuries is, is conducted from, Oh, it's just a thing and you got to play through it and, you know, not really taking it seriously to, to where they'd like to be today. I think that headline really just sort of made light of the whole thing, right? He was, you know, that, that could be a career ending or even life changing injury and it's, you know, a pithy headline. And uh, in some respects, yeah, okay, fine. The, news, the newspaper's trying to sell more newspapers. And so whatever's on that cover can sometimes drive that. Maybe that was the way it was in the past. I wonder how much that's the case anymore. But at some point you have to decide, you know, is there, is there a bigger thing at play here that maybe we just don't go there? So you think it's about head injuries in general, or was it more like what, what's the most offensive part to you? Is it the the family that they were being disrespectful? Is it like they're not rooting for the whole well, it, team? It de- like it depends. I think I think it depends on who. Like obviously, when Kyle Dubas says that, there's a bunch of different stakeholders he has in mind, and maybe one set of stakeholders is his family. Maybe another set is the NHLPA, and how does the Toronto Maple Leafs come off as a, a guardian of their players health and safety and you know maybe it's just the other is just the reputation of the team and how they see it that's 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 the way i look at it what mm. what, what was your take on it i just I, I it confuses me because i don't see the upside in you know what, what is he trying to accomplish by attacking the newspaper i don't i don't understand what he's uh you know there there's that old uh expression in in our industry back when newspapers were things on paper they said you know don't start a war of words with someone who buys ink by the barrel and paper by the ton because you're you're always going to lose they're always going to get the last word and you know the toronto sun is kind of it's it, you know of all the, the 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 newspapers here in toronto it's kind of like you know like a, not not like a joke but it's just this it, it like you said it's a cartoonish tabloid sort of sort of paper and so i thought to give it even the um to, just to give it the attention to call it out, I thought I found that odd. Like, is that some mm. kind of coaching tactic? Is he trying to rally the team, or is this just maybe immaturity? Like, the guy's, you know, he's 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 a young executive, and maybe his emotions got the best of him. I just, I, I just, I can't, I don't see the wisdom in it. Could be that too. You know, it's hard to it's hard to say. I think in this case, it's not like other situations where. Like, you know, there's been cases where and it's ironically been other Toronto Sun reporters who have asked tough questions or some people might say dumb questions of Leaf players that have got the ire of the players and the and, and, and the team. 
in those cases, I, my view is the it's fair game. Like the reporter's job is to ask tough questions. And as a spokesperson, it's your job to know how to answer them. In this case, I think it was not the paper asking tough questions. It was a paper making light of some guy's potentially traumatic brain injury. And, and so normally I think the advice would be, you don't like, this isn't, this isn't, you don't go after the paper for the way it's covering the story. In this case, I think it's a bit different because of the circumstances. Okay. So to play devil's advocate here, um, I watched, I was watching the game live on CBC. Um, I actually, too much info, but I actually lugged one of my TVs out in the backyard. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like I was like a trailer park guy or something. I was watching it in the air. My, my neighbor was like, you're my hero, but I'm watching the game outside and I see this transpire and CBC must've shown that clip a dozen times super slow-mo this angle that angle how is that less how is that more respectful or more more professional oh that's a great question that's a great question like i did it's funny i watched a a doctor on youtube who he's he's a sports physician and he did like a break a 12-minute breakdown of the injury and talk about replaying in super slow-mo and you know dissecting the the hit to the head in every which way possible. Uh, you could you could also say that you know people like that are just in this his case he he's getting a lot of views and <laughs> and potentially likes or subscriptions off it. Is he the that concussion doctor? Is that the guy from Toronto? I, uh, you know I can't remember his name. It just he showed up in my feed and I thought oh yeah. this is interesting. I'm curious to see if he's going to play again or not. And I get <laughs> I'll get a a point of view. Uh, I guess there's there's a difference between covering it as news and this is an event that just happened and we're going to show you what happened in a sort of dispassionate way and and there's then there's you know making it a cartoon and putting it on the putting it on the front page. How is it different when they were going after Rob Ford, for example, with the crack scandal eight years ago this month, by the way? Um, Really? How, eight years ago. Wow. How, how is that different? You know, like, I, I, don't, I can't remember anyone saying how disgusting their covers were um, when it when they were making fun of, you know, they've had car accidents on there. They've had murder mm-hmm. victims on there. They've had people jumping off balconies. They've had all kinds of things on there. You know, the, the Rob Ford one comes to mind because it's such a high profile story. I don't remember anyone singling out the, the paper. And I'm not defending them, but I just... I'm Not curious about the, 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 what he thought he was doing. And, you know, when you looked at it in the heat of the moment, yes, that seemed like excessive. Now you, here you are, what, uh, a couple days later, the Leafs are up to one. There's another game this evening. Um, it seemed like, it seems like less of a big deal to me. And I just, I wonder if he could go back and do it again. Would he just shut up and not say anything? Hmm. It's a good question. I, I suspect he maybe may have been more than I think his audiences, as I think of it now, are more than the I, I want to get into a jousting match with the newspaper. His audiences were more about the team and the players and and m- making a show to show them that, you know, as, as a as a GM and as a as an employer, they're going to stick up for them. Because I bet you that I bet you the players were all up in arms about it. About the uh, the headline, yeah. But why are you not up in arms about CBC showing it forty two times? 
Uh, there's no answer. It's a good, it's a good know, question. Like it's, yeah. just, it's I, a good question. I, I don't know. I just think uh, if I, you know, if they were asking me, not that they did, but if I'm the communications guy, I'd say just let it go. You know, if you want to say something yeah. to the family, say it to the family. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. Anyway. Um, I don't have anything else. I don't know if you do. No, um, I think we should. Uh, oh, wait, you uh, the, the BBC guy. Did you want to touch on that oh. before we wrap it up? You know what? Let's I want to I want to unpack that a little bit more because it's a, it's a <laughs> developing issue. So just so like, what, just let people know what what, what it is. So 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 the, the thing if I so the back if you remember people remember back in 1995. There was a big interview that was scored by the BBC of Princess Diana. And this is the one where she sort of opened up on her, um, her troubles, her feelings and yeah, troubles. Yeah. And well, it ends up that, that the reason why the, that, that journalist, Martin Bashir was able to get in front of her to do an interview was because he forged documents that showed that the, the that seemingly showed that she was under surveillance and, he used that as a mechanism to get in touch with her brother and then her brother put him in touch with, with her. And then, you know, he negotiated the interview and, uh, this is, this is causing major ripples with the BBC and, and, uh, and journalism in general. And I think it's an interesting topic we, we can pick up on. Okay. So we'll reserve that for next time. Let's reserve it for next time. And, uh, I do, I have a potential guest lined up. I have someone oh, amazing. from the States who is, uh, she's a communications crisis expert and I sent her a direct message, uh, and I asked. Her name's Molly McPherson. For anyone who, oh, fantastic! Anyway, she's great. She, uh, I had her on my my other show once, and I was on her. She's just fantastic. And she just had a, a book that just came out, and so maybe we can rustle up some of those. <laughs> See, I'm using the cowboy language. We can rustle up some of those books and give them away to uh, to some of our listeners. But anyway, it was funny because I sent her a direct message asking if she'd be on uh, on the show, and she said blah, blah, blah about the books or whatever. And she goes, yeah. And I'd be happy to go on your rodeo show. <laughs> Too funny. Well, I look forward, look forward to that discussion. Nice. And if anyone has any topics they'd like us to, uh, to, to hit up on, let us know. You can send, you know, we are both available on social media and, uh, on Twitter is probably the best way or email or whatever. But, uh, anyway, thanks again. Great to see you. Um, glad to see you're doing well. And I guess we'll do this in a week and our hair will be just a little bit longer and we'll be a little bit closer to, uh, Perfect. to the end of this shit storm of a pandemic. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks Warren. Take care, buddy. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.